The Take On Duchenne podcast is dedicated to educating and raising awareness of Duchenne muscular dystrophy, or DMD, a rare and progressive genetic disease affecting muscle function. We bring scientific leaders in the field of DMD together to discuss and share knowledge, insights, and perspectives to support the continuous education and awareness of this disease. The series is brought to you by PTC Therapeutics, a global biopharmaceutical company focused on improving patients' lives who are affected by rare diseases like DMD through innovative therapies, earlier diagnosis, and improved standard of care. The information presented in this podcast is intended to be general in nature and is not medical advice. This should not replace or substitute speaking with a healthcare professional. If you are a patient or a caregiver, consult your care team with any questions or concerns regarding medical conditions. Hello, my name is Dr. Audrey Powell. I am a senior medical science liaison at PTC Therapeutics and the host for this podcast episode and educational series. Today, we'll continue the conversation from last time on transition to adulthood with focus on considerations and strategies in transition from a social perspective. As more and more boys and young men with DMD are transitioning into adulthood, there is an increasing emphasis on quality of life and psychosocial management. We're joined today by Sarah Stoney, social worker from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, for a discussion on this important topic. I will let Sarah introduce herself, but firstly, welcome, Sarah. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Dr. Powell, and thank you to PTC for having me today. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you. Sarah, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your clinical experience in the area of DMD. Absolutely. Um, my name is Sarah Stoney. I am a licensed social worker at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and I've worked in the Division of Neurology for the last seven years. I work in several of the subspecialty clinics, including our neuromuscular center. As a social worker at CHOP, I have the privilege of following patients and their families long term, uh, meaning that I'm often available to help with ongoing advocacy, care coordination, and ongoing support. Most often, I follow patients from the time of their diagnosis until we transition them into adult care, which is why it's such a passion of mine to ensure that our patients and families are ready for such a significant life change. Many of our families that we are transitioning have been followed by our team of pediatric neurologists for years, sometimes decades. So it's extremely important that the family feels supported through this process. We began our transition program back in 2015, and with each case, we try to make improvements to the systems and processes to ensure that this transition is as seamless as possible. Our patients with DMD are one of the largest patient populations we've transitioned over the last six years, and those numbers just continue to grow. We identified as a program many years ago that the advances in science have resulted in our patients with DMD living longer, and therefore it is vital to ensure that they have access to the best providers. What's the role of a social worker in the care of DMD, especially during the crucial transition period? Sure. I, I think in order to understand the role of the social worker during this period, it's, it's really important to understand the transition process itself. Transitioning care from a pediatric provider to an adult provider is not as simple as simply calling a new medical office and making an appointment with a new doctor. 
This is a process that we, in best case scenarios, are preparing for years in advance. Many experts in the field believe that this work should start as early as age 12. Beginning in adolescence, healthcare providers can help provide developmentally appropriate education to patients on their medical condition and encourage them to be involved in their own healthcare plan. Some of the first conversations I'm having with patients and their families focus on first assessing a child's ability to be more involved in their healthcare plan, but then also how to expand that involvement. For example, Making a goal for an adolescent to prepare one independent question for the doctor for their next visit is a simple, developmentally appropriate way to encourage that engagement. Often in the pediatric world, we have the luxury of large support teams, including psychosocial supports for our patients and families. That's not always available at adult care centers. So as a social worker, while I am advocating for the family, I'm also providing them education on how to self-advocate to ensure that they have an ability to do so independently once transitioned to adult care. I have given talks before on healthcare literacy, and I remind my patients and families that they don't teach this subject knowledge in school. The healthcare maze is, as I call it, complicated and not easily accessible. And many of these tasks, such as calling your insurance company, appealing a decision, or requesting medical records are all concrete tasks that adults with DMD will experience. It's important for me as their social worker to ensure they have the tools to do so. We recently this past year implemented a transition clinic appointment prior to transferring care for our patients with neuromuscular disease, and I think the clinic itself really spoke volumes as to the importance of the role of the social worker as the majority of the transition clinic appointment is really focused on psychosocial needs and assessments. When we're choosing to transition a patient, we're typically doing so at a time when a patient's disease course is at its most stable. Therefore, our transition appointments typically focus on a lot of psychoeducation. This includes job training programs, insurance information, identifying caregivers to help with activities of daily living, and even providing education on advanced directives. Most of this education is most appropriate to be done by someone on the psychosocial support staff. Additionally, it's important to remember that this is a fragile stage in our patients' lives. Adolescent and young adults are learning about their own identity, their goals, and identifying supports in their own community. It can be a stage in their life where they feel the most vulnerable, It's important for providers to recognize that our patients are facing a lot during these years. Preparing for college, jobs, and adult care looks different for someone living with DMD. So by having a social worker embedded into the team, we hope that we can help address some of that need. What are some of the unmet needs or challenges and opportunities of patients during this transition with regards to psychosocial care? That's a great question because the psychosocial needs of our patients with DMD are in fact extremely unique, and it's really important that they get individualized attention. Over the past several years of our transition program, we've pulled from many sources, excellent material to help create our transition resources. However, we also quickly identified the need to customize many key parts of the screening tools and assessments. Because while there's a lot of material for transition that exists, not many take into account the specific disease course of DMD. 
Part of the reason why we felt the need to do that is that the DMD community also, along with other neuromuscular populations, falls into a very specific subset of patients that have specific needs at time of transition. So one of the major challenges that needs to be taken into consideration is really identifying a support system for someone entering the world as a patient with DMD. So for example, some transition readiness assessments may ask about a person's capacity to be able to make decisions or their ability to perform activities of daily living, such as preparing their own meals or grocery shopping. But with our patients in the DMD community, we have to identify that there are physical limitations that may be in place. So we have to ensure that our patients have access to supports to complete these activities of daily living. So for many of our patients, the question of capability is a little less relevant and a little more relevant is really identifying who's able to help with those tasks and empowering an individual to be able to ask for help when needed. I find this to be really unique specifically in the neuromuscular community. As I also mentioned previously, preparing for life transitions such as going to college or entering the work field, or in fact, transitioning to adult care, looks a lot different when you have physical limitations. We hope that the tools that we've created help identify some of those differences. This translates specifically to the transition process because sometimes there are very concrete barriers to care, such as transportation to and from the doctor, access to medical teams in the event of an emergency access to home care, and specifically identifying individuals who can help manage your care in the event that you can't manage it yourself. These are all opportunities for discussion as you may be preparing an individual for the transition period. This preparation does not happen overnight. This is years of planning and assessing and reassessing and replanning for this very difficult transition. Thank you, Sarah. Last week, we discussed the importance of transition planning and what that entails. How do you plan for psychosocial management with families, and when do you start to engage with individuals and families with DMD? So one of the best ways to discuss how we start this process is to really pull from gottransition.org's six core elements of transition in pediatric practice. If you've not already visited the site, gottransition.org is a remarkable website that has amazing tools for pediatric providers and even adult providers to use for the transition process. The six core elements of this process include, one, discussing and explaining a transition process, two, tracking that process, three, assessing the skills of our patients and developing a healthcare plan, including a medical summary, four, preparation for the transition, five, transferring the patient over to the adult care center, and six, confirming completion of this process and eliciting consumer feedback. In the first steps of this process, discussing a transition policy can take place between ages 12 and 14. If the institution you work for has a specific policy regarding the transition of teenage patients, it's really important to be open and transparent with families about what that looks like. From ages 14 to 18, you are working on steps two through four, tracking progress, assessing skills, and developing a healthcare transition plan. Tools like a transition readiness assessment questionnaire, or TRAC, can be used and reused to assess a patient's readiness to manage their own healthcare needs and decisions. The last two stages, transferring to an adult care center and then completing that transfer, really takes place between the ages of 18 and 26. 
This is also in line with our specific process at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. We aim for many of our transitions to take place for patients, hopefully by their mid-20s. With that being said, we do not have a firm enterprise-wide transition policy at CHOP. Every patient transition is unique and often requires its own specific timeline and plan. One specific addition that we added to our transition clinic this past year was really focusing on transition patients having a discussion about advanced directives. This took place with all of our patients that were in the final steps of their transition process, likely meaning that their transition was going to take place within the next 6 to 12 months. Incorporating that element has been really critical for our patients in the DMD community. In our clinic specifically, a normal neuromuscular appointment can be, well, several hours. Our interdisciplinary team includes physical and occupational therapists, registered dietitians, genetic counselors, physicians, as well as myself, and even a child life specialist. Oftentimes, those days are long, and having another discussion about something as fragile as advanced directives is not best practice on those types of days. What we have appreciated about doing this outside the clinic is really having an unpressured discussion about what an advanced directive is and how to discuss goals of care for patients who are interested. How do you balance the needs of the clinicians across disciplines and the young individual with DMD and their family? You know, I have to circle back with identifying a support system and really learning how to advocate for oneself. Many of our young adults with DMD are going to experience barriers in the adult world. Despite the fact that my transition checklist may have over a dozen key points that I want to perfect with my young adult before they transition, I have to recognize that that's likely not realistic. I am sure myself and every pediatric and adult provider out there would love for their patients to be perfectly prepared for the adult world. So what I have to focus on is really trying to empower our patients to do two things. First, I call this the who, how, and where of problem solving. This truly focuses on how to ask for help. So our patients living with DMD are going to have pockets of support in a variety of different areas of their life. So ensuring that our patients have access to those support systems knowing who they are, how to get a hold of them, and what times are critical to do so is just one example of how we can help our patients advocate for themselves. For example, if one of my patients is going off to college, we may have done extensive legwork to ensure accessibility to classrooms, to the dorms, to ensure that we've prepared them for as many obstacles that may arise. So in this situation, ensuring that the student has access to a representative or a caseworker in the Office of Disabilities is a way to ensure that they have that contact in the event that a barrier ever presents itself and we're no longer involved. Clearly, this is only one example, but these pockets of supports are out there, and some of them may not be really accessible, which also brings me to the second key point that I instill in our patients, which is how to advocate for yourself. Despite their intentions, the systems and processes that exist in the world for people living with disabilities are flawed. Caseworkers in the community are overwhelmed. Government programs and supports are often insignificant to an individual's need. And access to these programs can be very difficult, which is why it's so important to instill advocacy in our young adults with DMD. I was working with a remarkable young man with DMD a few years ago 
who was appealing an insurance decision to have access to a specific medication. And his persistence and ability to advocate for himself eventually paid off. After exhausting several appeals, this young man actually wrote a very kind letter to his insurance company, which ultimately helped overturn the decision. Those types of advocacy skills we absolutely cannot teach, but we can empower individuals to identify where their strengths are. This particular patient of ours happened to be a writer, and he used that skill to help advocate for himself. As I say to my young adults, (laughs) adulting is hard, and it's not fun to have to call an agency several times before you get a callback or go through several appeals from an insurance company. But recognizing the value of that advocacy is what is so important. And we try to discuss this with caregivers as well. Our caregivers are our patients too. So a lot of the same discussions that I'm having with our patients, I'm also having with caregivers, including their ability to advocate and ask for help and take care of themselves. I am a strong advocate for our caregivers. We're actually recording this podcast in November, which is National Caregivers Month. But let's face it, they deserve more than just a month. It can be really hard for caregivers to take breaks from their caregiver duties. So it's important to ensure that they don't experience burnout either. I'm sure that this may be unpopular, but I'm not a huge fan of the term self-care. I worry that the term presents this unattainable goal that should be more normalized. I worry that when I talk to an individual about a, quote, specific self-care plan, I worry I get tuned out. Instead, I check in really specifically on the basics of well-being, asking how they're sleeping, how they're eating, how their mood is, and what their interests are outside of caregiving, things that they enjoy. These are specific questions, I think, that can help have this conversation while avoiding the luxurious connotation sometimes associated with, quote, self-care. We hope that this helps normalize that taking care of yourself is exactly that, normal. From your experience, what are some of the strategies to help individuals successfully prepare and plan for the future? One of the biggest takeaways I would love for people to hear is really that creating a transition process that works has to be customized for the patient and their need. I think that over the last six years, we have transitioned over 60 patients with neuromuscular disorders, and probably 40% of them were patients with DMD. And I can tell you that regardless of our patients being similar in age, similar in disease course, or similar in diagnosis, every single one of those transitions were extremely unique. This makes the process challenging. There's no simplified one way or process to successfully transition a patient to adult care because you have so many external factors that you're taking into consideration. So my advice would be to work closely with the family, start as early as you can, and ensure that everyone's goals are really understood from the providers in the pediatric office, to the adult care providers, to the patients and their families, and ensuring everyone's on the same page and has the same goals. There are phenomenal resources that can help institutions focus on the psychosocial needs that take place during transition. GotTransition.org is a phenomenal website and has a lot of tools that can be used. Additionally, there are a lot more disease-specific organizations in the DMD community that are starting to create standards of practice when it comes to transitioning patients with DMD, which are also great resources. I would also encourage centers to look into their own institution. We at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia do have a team that focuses on transition, and their team is built with both medical and psychosocial support staff. 
While we still decide to do our own neuromuscular transitions independently, we've pulled from a lot of their practices and utilized a lot of the same resources. And lastly, having a strong relationship with adult care centers and providers is key. We are fortunate enough to work closely with Penn Medicine, but regardless of whether there's an established relationship or not, it's important to make that connection with adult care facilities to ensure a smooth process. This is not easy work. Transition is hard for everyone involved, pediatric, adult providers, patients, families, and social workers. And it's also constantly evolving. But more conversations like this helps providers share ideas and improve the care across the DMD community. Do you have any takeaway advice or recommendations to other colleagues and also individuals with DMD? My final advice would be to start as early as possible. Try to utilize the suggested timelines on resources like gottransition.org. Make sure that you're transparent and upfront with patients and families about what the transition process will look like, but really listen. Listen to the patients, listen to their families, and ensure that they're going to adult care providers really feeling confident in the decision to do so. When everyone is open and transparent about the process, you'll ensure that most of the questions are answered and have the best opportunity for success. That was a great discussion. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me. It was a great pleasure to speak with you and discuss transition of care in DMD. Your insights and experience will certainly help support clinicians and patients towards a successful transition and beyond. Finally, Thank you to our listeners for tuning in to this episode. We hope you have found it relevant and informative. Make sure you join us for the next episode. Want more episodes of the Take On Duchenne podcast? Subscribe to our show at ptcbio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for joining us today and for allowing us to raise our voices in support of the DMD community. 